Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Amy Austin, news editor at FT Advisor, and today I will be discussing abridged advice and whether it works in its current form with Fiona Tate, Technical Director at Intelligent Pensions, and Simon Harrington, a Senior Policy Advisor at PIMFA. Welcome to you both and thanks for joining us today. So, abridged advice, as we know, sits in between triage and full pensions advice and can only result in a recommendation to not transfer out of a DB scheme. Um, You know, this first came about by the FCA in 2019 and was introduced later in October 2020. So we've had about a year and a half to see how it works now. Um, But, you know, when this was first kind of announced, there was a bit of concern from the industry about whether it would work and, you know, whether people would actually get on board. So, um, Fiona, I thought we could start with you by discussing kind of what are your thoughts around abridged advice? Well, we were um, extremely positive about abridged advice when it was mooted because we believed it would help clients if we could say to them um, very early on that there were reasons why, um, you know, a transfer was really not going to be in their interests. Um, I have to say that um, although we are doing less transfer work now than we were, um, I have yet to come across a client who's gone through the abridged uh, advice process who has not then gone on to do full advice. Um, So if you're saying was it successful, it kind of depends on what you were trying to achieve. Um, I think it has put them in a more informed position and we've had better conversations with clients as a result of abridged advice. Um, But what it hasn't done is it uh, it hasn't reduced the number of people who wanted to transfer. But I think one of the reasons for that is that um, because of all the the protections that are in place now, when when somebody comes to us and is willing to pay for transfer advice, they really do have a good reason to go ahead. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got that far. I think that's super interesting to hear you say that, you know, the ones that have come through you for a bridge advice are then all gone on to transfer because that is just not what I've heard from other advisors. So it's a really interesting thing. I don't know what you think about that, Simon. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm just sort of nodding violently in agreement with, uh, <laughs> with Fiona here. I think, so there are a couple of interesting things about a bridge advice. I think before we kind of go back to whether or not it's a good thing, my overwhelming view of it is that as an industry, we didn't really get what it was in that I think if you read it, you basically think, well, it's it's triage on steroids, right? But it but it isn't. It's actually it's actually much closer to full fat advice than we had given it credit for. I think when it when it first sort of came in, agreed with Fiona again, we were sort of very positive about it. And we were positive about it because without sort of wanting to go over old wars that have been fought, one of our sort of key concerns around the banning of contingent charging was that it would ultimately exclude people from 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 financial advice and the ability to transfer should it be in their interest because of the likelihood that they would end up having to pay a significant amount of money that they might not have and then be told, well, actually, no, it's not in your interest to transfer. But I think if you then look at sort of the regulatory environment, which we have basically created as a result of that policy statement beyond uh, abridged advice. We've created an environment where your reasons for wanting a transfer are sort of very clear, right? We've created a regulatory environment where you either have to be extraordinarily rich 
or extraordinarily close to death for it to basically be regulatory permissible. And as a result, abridged advice has sort of fallen a little bit by the wayside. And obviously, we don't represent clients. We we, we represent the firms that, that sort of look after them. And one of the key questions that I think we would have for the regulator is actually the percentage of cases where an unclear result from abridged advice has proceeded to full advice where the individual has actually been advised to transfer or whether or not it's actually fallen by the wayside. Sure, Fiona, um, I don't know if you had anything to add on to that. Well, um, yeah, one thing I was really keen to actually share with you was um, a, a correspondence that we had with one client who went through the whole process. Um, and I had some quite difficult conversations with this client. So I'm not, I, I, I do get where the regulators are coming from, but this is the client's view. Um, and what had happened was um, we went through the advised advice process um, and we said to the client, um, you are going to, you know, we recommend that you continue to full advice. Um, and he, he came back and said, well, but if I pay for the full advice, am I going to get what I want, basically? Um, and we had quite a lot of toing and froing, which culminated in a letter, which I believe he he sent to the the FCA and copied us in, um, which said, uh, you know, basically he feels that it's unfair that uh, he was still, and the way he put it, was taking a gamble, that he wouldn't get what he wants, but we were going to charge for the advice. Um, and uh, you know, I can completely see where he's coming from, and that's the perception we have. So we had a very in depth conversation about. Um, and he, I was under a lot of pressure as an advisor to just tell him what he wanted to hear. Um, and we had an in-depth conversation. And I said, you know, I, absolutely, I cannot recommend it. And it wouldn't be in your interests. I have to do the research. Um, I suppose the, the positive thing, though, was that we had already identified what were likely to be the, the sticking points, if you like. Um, and he was uh, very much, he was a, a client that was a, a why now um, and because we had that conversation, he was able to, to, to give me an awful lot more information that was relevant to that particular point. Um, so in the end, it did work out, but the client didn't feel that it was a fair process. Yeah, I think that's like an issue with stuff like this. You know, client like advisors would read through, you know, these whole policy papers and statements and understand it and know exactly why the FCA is doing it, what it's meant to achieve. But to kind of put that through to a client is quite hard to do for them to then understand, oh, actually, this might be in my best interest. Because, you know, when someone says, oh, I want to transfer it, you know, it's stuck in their head, that's what they want to do. And if yes. you're just seen as then a barrier to stopping them. Um, and Simon, I know that some people or advisors and firms are offering this service for free. So they're actually doing a bridge of advice for free, which is, you know, actually putting the costs back into the advice firms. Um, do you reckon this is the way forward or do you reckon people should start charging for it so i it's a mixed picture i mean I, I'm sort of, we obviously sort of speak to a lot of firms about what they're doing and whether or not they're actually offering at all and again would be really interested to get a fuller picture from the fca on sort of what firms are offering a british advice and what firms are uh, sorry are not um my sort of understanding is that they don't necessarily have that data but sort of one of the key challenges that I know firms are experiencing is is the broad question of, well, should we charge for it? And if we do charge for it, how do we charge for it? Do you then 
if you if the client goes through the abridged advice process and then goes on to sort of full fat advice as we shall call it does the firm then sort of discount the cost of the abridged advice process throughout the full advice process um would it be a vatable service for example and one of the things that we did push the fca on during its initial sort of uh, consultation period was whether or not they could provide guidance on that and they haven't and this kind of goes back to the broader point that i sort of made at the beginning about us maybe underestimating what abridged advice is and sort of where it kind of sits on the on the ladder right to the extent that i think firms would like to probably be able to provide it should they a have the permissions to to provide db transfer advice should they have the appetite to provide db transfer advice but i think they're still sort of slightly uncertain about what their obligations are where they stand and how they can sufficiently differentiate between the two processes and what about you Fiona? do you offer a bridge advice for free or do you charge no we just we we charge um uh, again with, with with what simon had said i think that a number of people, including the SCA, had perhaps underestimated how much work goes into abridged advice. I mean, their paper says, you know, this should be a low-cost service and uh, it should be really quick. Well, you still have to do the full fact-find on the client and you still have to do all the analysis um, on their risk assessment and you still have to do all the analysis on the existing scheme. Now, that costs um, quite a lot of time um, and therefore there is a cost to us whether the client proceeds or not. So we're perfectly clear um, that, that we will charge for this service. In fact, though, in practice, because of the way it's it's been launched and referred to, um, we we aren't charging anything like the cost of actually delivering that service. Um, so we will be effectively out of pocket if the client does not proceed to full advice. Now, this is something that we thought long and hard about. Um, but we felt it was a valuable service. And as I say, in, in practice, what we found is that um, all of our clients have felt that they, they did want to go on to full advice. So we, we, we are quite happy to continue on this charging basis. But we certainly aren't going to do it for free because there's work being done. It's quite a lot of work. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting to see like how different firms have approached it. You know, that's yeah. it's mad. <laughs> I mean, just to sort of jump in a, a little bit further there, I think one of the one of the challenges for firms especially if you kind of go back to the regulatory principle and we'll sort of deal with the extraordinarily wealthy side of it at the moment is in the initial fact find there are going to be issues that come up in the client circumstances which actually sit outside of the db transfer process which you as an advisor know will require full advice so you know what is the impact on for example the lifetime allowance like so how do you kind of decouple that from the abridged advice process and sort of basically say, right, what we're going to do is we're going to build a Chinese wall and we're going to solely kind of focus on these specific issues, knowing full well that there are broader kind of issues that you do actually have to take due consideration of, but would constitute full advice. And it is a significant challenge for, for firms, which it kind of, again goes back to the point of, well, where does it actually sit on the regulatory spectrum? Yeah, I think that must be like the difficulty of it. Like if you could tweak it, what would you like to see changed, Fiona? 
Um, well, just just picking up on Simon's point, I mean, we we do, I guess, have some sort of wall there. We 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 look at the specific issues for a British advice. We identify the things that we would need to to look at in more detail, but we don't actually look at them. So we will, um, uh, you know, we'd inform the client if there was a li- you know lifetime allowance was likely to be an issue, but we don't do the analysis unless they proceed to full advice. So that that's where our our line is. Um, my, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm with advice. Advice. I'm. I, I don't know that I have any immediate changes that I, I, I would want to make there. Um, our biggest issue has always been if the client moves on to full advice, and then we might have to say no. We need to be very clear that they get value from what we've done before we say no. Um, and one of the issues is we, while we. F- absolutely totally supported the ban on contingent charging the fact that it wrapped in any cost for implementation means we are effectively charging anyone who we advise against transfer who goes through full advice we're charging them the cost of implementation even though we are not actually implementing it and that's because we are not allowed to distinguish between the charges for somebody who goes ahead and who doesn't go ahead Um, now as i say i support contingent charging completely um, but i think it would be not unreasonable to say transparently, here is the cost for the advice, here is the cost for the implementation, and you only get charged for implementation if we recommend a transfer. So that would be my one thing. What about you, Simon? Anything you'd like to say? Uh, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with Fiona. I, I, I think you know that there are a lot of things in, in the policy statement which were welcome. We, we obviously sat on the other side of the fence with respect to the contingent charging ban, but we did think that you know things like a British advice would actually help to mitigate it significantly but one of the issues that we did think would be an issue was the fact that the implementation fee was basically rolled in with with the broader advice fee and didn't sort of give due regard to sort of the outcome for the client so I think that is something that we would like to change I think with respect to a bridge advice in and of itself I think it is there firms can decide to use it if they want to um it is ultimately a choice i know of firms in which they make it available but they do not mandate it for their advisors should they should they not wish to use it and we should just refer to it as a useful toolkit should should the circumstances of the client be uncertain and the advisor considers that they can drill down more sort of useful information during the bridge advice process i don't think it's necessarily that the process is not working I think there is value in it. It just maybe isn't providing as much value as we initially thought it would. Sure. And what about like when looking at the like the DB market more generally? Do you think that a bridge advice has helped here? Like, is it doing what it was meant to do? I don't know if you want to start, Fiona. Sorry. <laughs> I, th- I think it is helping, but I don't know that it's helping in the way that it was expected to help. Yeah. <laughs> um, as I say, what it does mean is um, we are having a, a, probably a more in-depth conversation when we get to the full advice than we might have had otherwise. Mm. So it raises some issues earlier in the in the process that we can have a, a proper discussion about, and that is useful. Um, as I say, what we haven't done is actually screened anybody out yet. I could, but I mean, we, the reason we're doing it, though, is because we think that there will be people who should be screened out. We just haven't come across any because, as I say, I think by the time they get to us and are willing to pay, they've really got good reasons. Sure. And what about you, Simon? 
I mean, we don't really know, right? Because again, we don't know how many firms are using it and we don't know how many clients have gone through the process. But I think you can look at the broader DB transfer market and gain some confidence from the direction of travel that we're on. And I think if you look at just the suitability of advice given and how it has improved exponentially since pension freedoms, it's it's night and day, right? And I think that is, I think that is something which is we can draw positive from. I think it's also just something that you do have to congratulate the regulator on, right? Because they have been clear. They've they've set out guidance for firms. They've 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 got rid of some of the gray areas that exist within it. And and ultimately the success of any measures do need to be need to be measured against suitability of advice given. And and I think, you know, we're talking about sort of numbers in like the low fifties and now we're talking about numbers in the sort of low to mid nineties, which is, you know, a substantial improvement. Yeah. And what about um kind of like does the regulator need to do any more? Do you think, do you know what, let's leave leave this alone for a little bit? see if it actually works because you know a year and a half isn't a long time um give it a bit more time see that like track the changes and then go from there yeah i i would agree that um it has improved the the, the process of advice yeah so I, I as i say the conversations are better um as far as abridged advice is concerned i, I wouldn't advocate doing much uh to, to change it at this point let's just see where we are although as simon said it'd be really great if the regulator actually had some figures and and things that could, you know, they could share um the 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 main issue for db transfers and um i'm really everybody would be bored with this coming up over and over again but it does and it's pi insurance mm-hmm. and i know that that's not the regulator's responsibility I equally know that if I were a PI insurer, I would be very concerned about the risk I'm taking on. But we are at a point where that has created a situation where it's difficult for clients to find advice. Um, you know, and there are some clients where it does make sense. Um, Simon sort of said, you know, you need to be, uh, was it dying or um, I can't remember what the other one was. Um, the, 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 the obvious one for us is people who are really close to retirement who are taking their benefits. Um, at that point, there are some clients where it does make sense to have more flexibility and it's really difficult for them to find the advice. Um, and the, the strangulation point, I think, is PI. Um, and it would be good if, if another solution could be found. I know the PFS were working on something, but that was a while back. I'm not sure that they've managed to, to get any further. Uh, yeah, I agree with Fiona. Again, this is a very kind of broken record, isn't it? <laughs> but um, PI is... PI is the biggest barrier, and I think, I don't know, you can look at this in two ways, right? But it, it's sort of one of the issues that we raised uh, in, in, in the consultation, which is, I think, because of, the, because of the issue that you have with PI, both sort of with respect to the fact that their existing PI providers are increasingly reticent to provide it, and also the number of PI marketers PI providers in the market are sort of vanishingly small, right? I think there are probably fewer PI insurers than there were members of S Club 7. Means that you can very kind of quickly see a future 
in which we move to a DB transfer market, and it will always exist, right? Because I think the the um, the pension protection fund says that you know there'll still be DB schemes going in twenty thousand and ninety when we're all sort of very dead. Um, but you can sort of quickly see a future in which DB transfer advice is basically homogenized. And you only end up with the very, very biggest firms providing it. And I'm not sure that that is necessarily a good outcome, mm. right? Because, because ultimately personal finance, the, the, the utility of, of, of financial advice is about the fact that it can take due consideration of an individual's bespoke concerns. And I think if you end up sort of putting it through sort of the sausage machine of all but the biggest firms who offer great services and do brilliant work, you might not necessarily end up with the best outcome for consumers that you think you will. And I think that would be a shame. Yeah, definitely. Yes, I, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, not saying that you, you can't get a good service from a big provider, a, a big advisor firm. Um, you can. But I think that anything that limits a service to to one option is is not a good thing for the consumer. Um, and uh, so I think that consumers should have the choice to be able to go to um, smaller advisors, especially when we know so many of them have done such a great job in the past. Yeah. But the PI is pricing them out. Well, Fiona, Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. Tune in next week where we will discuss other goings on in the industry.